the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I invite any of the kids up front to sit up front facing this way so we can watch our young children's choir. They're going to sing a special song for us today on this day when we offer thanks to God as a family. And the name of the song is Father Blessed to Me the Dawn. Father Blessed to Me the Dawn. So just have a seat right here. Have a seat right here. And, and we will sit and, and listen and enjoy the offering that the children's choir gives to the Lord. Right here, just sit and we'll watch them. Yeah, just okay, right there, right there. Thank you, Skylar. Thanks to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, we're not going to have a children's sermon just because we were able to listen to them. 
And so we're not having children's chapel either. And so if you want to get a packet from Mr. Music right over here, you can pick up a packet and go back to sit with your parents or your grandparents or wherever you're sitting. And while they're going, you can go this way. No, you don't want, you don't want a packet. Okay, go that way. And as you've heard the last uh, two or three weeks and in written communications as well, we do have a special uh, guest preacher today. We're delighted to have him, Father, Father Jake Stum from Anglican Relief and Development Fund, uh, ARDF is what we've always called it. And uh, uh, Tommy, has a, Tommy Lamb, our own Tommy Lamb has arranged for him to be here. We're delighted that he is here. And so I invite you, Father Jake, to come forward. And we are so delighted that you're here. Well, greetings, St. Timothy. Great job. I'm so happy to be here. I was just thinking that, uh, first of all, that was beautiful, kids. Warmed my heart. Well done. Lovely song that you sang. Um, and, and I'm sure that all of you know this. Maybe you don't. But the Tennessee, we're, I'm from Tennessee. I'm from a, just outside of Chattanooga. And we get our name, our volunteer state, uh, and my beloved Tennessee Vols volunteers because we sent people to volunteer in Texas. So I'm just carrying on a tradition this morning of uh, volunteering to come and help the good, fine people of Texas. So I'm so happy to be here. And thank you, Father Stan, for allowing me to come and, uh, and be with you. I, I don't want to assume that everyone knows what the Anglican Relief and Development Fund, it's a mouthful, uh, what we are. I know that Tommy is here and he's on our staff. He's in the back with his awesome wife, Catherine. And Tommy is such a good friend and he, he's here in your church and a staff member with ARDF. So a lot of you probably know, but I don't want to assume that you know. So I want to briefly give you an overview of what we do. And then I want to share just a short homily with you. And the easiest way to understand us is by our acronym, A-R-D-F. The A is for Anglican. So we were, we were started at the exact same time as our province, the Anglican Church of North America, ARDF, ACNA. We love acronyms, uh, Anglicans do. We were birthed at the same time by the founding Archbishop Bob Duncan. And so we're tightly tied together. A ARDF is a separate entity, nonprofit. We don't get any funding from the province, but we get a ton of support and partnership from the province and the we were, we were formed to do two things, which are the second two let, letters of the acronym. The R is for relief. So we do international relief. Anytime a disaster happens globally, we attempt to raise money and send it. And internationally, we just send funds. So we usually to an Anglican church that's been impacted, will receive the funds and they'll do disaster response globally. And on the domestic side, uh, that's what we used to do until about three years ago. And I convinced Tommy to help us do more than just send money. So he has been working really hard to develop a domestic response network. And part of that is getting more people in the province who will be representatives for ARDF and know what's happening when a disaster happens in America. It's our dream that we have a whole group of people all across America who are trained and ready and equipped to respond and go help someone after what would possibly be the worst day of their life. I can think of no better time to show up and be the hands and feet of Jesus than in those moments. And it takes being prepared and ready. And I'm so thrilled 
that your church, we're going to bless the outreach shed today. And that is part of our dream, that more churches would do this. They'd have a, a shed full of supplies that you can use locally or across, across America when a disaster happens, that your church is ready and prepared to mobilize. And we've been able to partner with churches. Our mission is to come alongside Anglican churches in the U.S. and around the world to resource them so they can better reach the needs of their own communities. And so this shed, you're helping us achieve our mission. And it might seem like a small thing to you. It is a huge thing for us that this is happening because we want to use this as a model and challenge other churches to partner with us. And we would love to have these sheds and equipment trailers dotted all across America, full and ready, so that when something happens, we can respond and be powerfully present with the local church after a disaster. Amen? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? That's right. Um, so I'm thrilled to get to preach. I, I, I want to talk to you uh, about some of the work we do and tell you some stories. But I would love to use a story from the Bible as a backdrop for this. Because there's a lot of, a lot of bad things, hard things happening in our world. There's a lot of people who are wounded in our world. Uh, but there's a lot of people who are providing healing in our world too. And I'm very inspired by Jesus and by this story and by Doubting Thomas and by the concept of wounded healers. Because I get to encounter people who after a disaster, uh, you know, a local church after a disaster that's been wounded in that, they've been harmed, but they are the ones having to provide. Sorry, I, get, I grew up Pentecostal, so sometimes I get really excited. Um, but they're the ones that are out of their woundedness, they're providing healing to people. And I see this globally also. So I want to read a passage of scripture uh, from John chapter 20 that really is probably my favorite passage of scripture in the New Testament. And it says this, now, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Amen. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I, I just realized I did the same thing in this service I did in the first service. I didn't finish the acronym. I get so excited. So the R is for relief. The D is for development. We also do international development projects. And we, we have a global council, so every project's approved by international church leaders. We don't go tell the international church what we think they need. So these international church leaders will submit project applications and help us choose them. And then we will fund eight to 10 projects every year. And we just approved a new batch. So as an example, we're helping build a girls school in Angola. We're helping build a vocational training center in Laos, Southeast Asia. Uh, we're helping build an evangelism and outreach center in Myanmar, which is, as you know, a very difficult place. Uh, and this will be a, a light of hope for a rural area of Myanmar and then five others. So every year we're doing these international development projects in addition to the relief. And F is for fund. fund. I'm a fundraiser, but you're off the hook. I'm not here today to do fundraising, so it's okay. Unless you decide to give, then I am a fundraiser. <clears throat> okay, so thank you for allowing me to go back and correct that mistake that I made. Um, in this scripture that we read, we're in the middle of an unfolding story 
The disciples of Jesus have been around him and they've grown to believe that he's a revolutionary leader, that he's going to bring about massive change and that possibly there's going to be a new kingdom. And then things come to a tragic end that the disciples did not expect. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. This was not what they expected God to do when God showed up on earth. And so they are hiding. They're fearful that their life may have the same ending and they don't know how to move forward. Do they go back to their careers? What do they do? And then as we know, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus starts showing up to people and proving himself alive to people. Well, Thomas, poor Thomas, I feel bad for the guy. I see myself in Thomas. That's why I love this story. But he was not one of the first ones that got to see Jesus. And so they're telling him, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Like, don't be so discouraged. And Thomas, I can imagine, I, I might imagine this incorrectly. So if there's any theologians in the room, forgive me. But I imagine Thomas being pretty upset and, and not casually saying this. I think he was spicy. And he said, oh, yeah, well, if that's true, I want Jesus to walk through that locked door and let me put my finger in his wounds. Like I picture a dramatic Thomas uh, saying, I don't believe this till I see it. And Jesus, in his grace, shows up in the middle of a room with a locked door and extends his wounds to Thomas and says, here, see, believe. And I just find this story so beautiful. I think it's one of the most beautiful sections of scripture for so many reasons, but I want to just share three quickly this morning. First is that it's encouraging to me that it's okay for doubt to be expressed. It's okay. Sometimes we have doubts and sometimes we need to ask Jesus to show up in some specific ways and that's okay. In Cleveland, Tennessee, where I live, we, we call it the buckle of the Bible belt. So not just the Bible belt, but the very buckle of the Bible belt. I could literally fill my calendar, and I'm not exaggerating, with young adults who are raised in church who are now experiencing doubt for the first time. And they're starting to question some of the things that they were taught. And, and, and this makes them fearful and concerned. And I've had the awesome privilege a few times to be the first person that these the first clergy person that people have come and talked to about this. And the way that this usually goes is they come with fear and trembling and they say, Father Jake, I don't know if I believe everything that I've been taught. And for some reason in their head, they think I'm going to be angry or they think I'm going to respond with some sort of condemnation. And when I instead respond with empathy and say, look, I've been through the dark night of the soul. I've had plenty of times when I've had some of the same questions there's just this deep sigh of relief. And there's this connection that happens because we can connect out of our vulnerability and out of our woundedness. And it's a beautiful moment when that uh, happens. And I'm just so grateful that we're able to connect because it's okay to express these doubts to people and to others. Let me get to my... Uh <clears throat> All right. I lost a page somewhere along the way, but that is okay. The, the, so there, it's okay for doubt to be expressed. Uh, the second thing about this that I think is so beautiful is that there's a counterintuitive beauty in our woundedness. And I know that sounds like a paradox, like a beautiful wound. Uh, sounds like a paradox is something that at first doesn't seem right, but the more you explore it and the more you think about it proves to be true. And there's a paradoxical beauty in our woundedness. And we see this all the time in our world, that whenever we are vulnerable enough 
And I'm sure this has happened to you. If you've gone and sat down with someone and you got up the courage right, to express your greatest failure or the thing that you haven't told anybody and you finally feel like, I have to tell somebody about this. And you go and you sit down and in that moment, they say something like, I've been there. I've had the exact same failure. And God has moved and restored me. There's something in that mutual connectedness that makes that moment really beautiful. Where, where we are constantly able to connect with people in a point of pain. Every time you're wounded, it's a mark that could potentially provide healing for someone else in their future. Not that we go seeking to be the victim, but every difficult season of our life, once we've worked through it, it can be a point of healing for someone else. Henry Nouwen wrote in his amazing book, Wounded Healer, that nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service to others? And this is one thing I love about being a Christian. It's one of the unique things about Christianity is that we serve a Jesus who is not afraid of showing up in his very woundedness. He did it with Thomas and he's done it through the century and he's done it in my life. We don't serve a God that sits cross-legged between two candlesticks. We serve a Jesus who died on a cross between two thieves. He is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. This is the kind of Jesus we serve, and I find it so very compelling. So if you are in the room and you've been wounded and you've been hurt, first of all, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And second of all, Jesus understands. He's been there. And I pray that as you find healing, you can experience this beautiful concept of being a wounded healer in our world. The paradoxical beauty, the counterintuitive beauty of saying to others, I've been through, I've been there, and being able to connect in that point of pain. So the second thing, there's a counterintuitive beauty in our woundedness. And the third is that um, I believe there needs to be more wounded healers in the world. We see it in Jesus in the Thomasness exchange, and, and legend had is that Thomas went on to be a great evangelist. We see out of his woundedness, he's healed, and he goes powerfully into the future. And I think that we need other people who are also wounded healers. So just because you've been wounded doesn't count you out for ministry. It actually may prepare you for ministry. One of my favorite things about my job, and there's a lot of cool things that we get to do at ARDF, is that I consistently get to hear good news from the church around the world and in the U.S. And so at staff meeting every week, uh, we have a staff member at the very top of our agenda We'll put reports from the field. So these are reports we're getting back from our partners. And we get updates every week from around the world. And so the very first thing we look at in our staff agenda are these good news things that are happening. And every week it's so encouraging because I get so exhausted of the bad news around the world on our media. And so I told our staff, like, everybody needs to hear these stories. It's not, shouldn't, we shouldn't get the lucky privilege of hearing these every week and, and other people not. So I determined... Everywhere I go, I was going to tell some of these good news stories. And in our work, I'm continually encountering wounded healers. And so I was just in Burundi, which is the poorest country in the world. And I was overwhelmed by both the poverty and the beauty that's there. 
One particular story captured me as a guy that we were meeting with who had a ministry for, for young adults, kids who were living on the streets for one reason or another. And during their genocide, their genocide lasted 13 years longer than Rwanda, but most of us don't know about that. So that's why they're so delayed uh, in the East African countries. And this guy, his father was murdered by another man in the, in the genocide. And then he, later in his life, he started this ministry for street children because he knew the woundedness of growing up without a father. And as he was doing intake one day, they, they have to do, do investigation. Why, why are these kids needing to come to us? What's their family history? He figured out that this sibling group of two, their father was the man who murdered his father. And he said to us through tears, I, I really did not want to accept them like that. But I knew clearly that Jesus was calling me to accept them. And of course, with tears around the room, he brings in these two kids who are now adults who are leaders in his ministry and talks about how he, out of his woundedness, knew what it was like to not have a father. and He could not do that to anybody else. That's the gospel. That's offering forgiveness in an unbelievable situation and restoration. That's what we get to be a part of. Uh, One of my heroes is a guy named Sign. He's in a rural village in Cambodia. He's in his early 30s now. I met him when he was uh, either 18 or 19. And he grew up in an orphanage there in the small village. And it it was a very sad situation. They were dependent totally upon the the rice and the rain. And because of this, depending on the cycle, there would be people who would would die of starvation in this village fairly often. And he grew up uh, with a lot of food insecurity. And when we met him, he was saying that he thought that if he were able to go back to this village and start a rice bank, that if he could convince people to bring him their rice and if he could have a little extra... They could loan it out when people got low of rice and then they could pay it back when they harvest and they could have this bank that could keep people fed all year long and there wouldn't be this drastic starvation. And in his mind, it was a $10,000 project. He thought there was no way he could ever raise $10,000 and we were able to secure some funding and help. And as, as far as I know, nobody in that village since he started the rice bank has died of starvation. They've died of other reasons of malnutrition but not of lack of food. And now if you go there 12 years later, They're doing commodity lending and they're growing crops and they have cattle and it's lush and green and he's experimenting and he's traveled all over Southeast Asia learning farming techniques. And because of his work there, they planted two churches and a little village that was once 90% Buddhist is now about 60% Christian. Signs a wounded healer. He could have said, I've been so, I got out of that and I don't want to go back. But out of his woundedness of knowing what it was like to be hungry, said, I don't want that to happen again. We get to work with peacemakers all over the world who are behind the scenes. And unfortunately, I can't tell you these stories publicly, uh, but I'd be happy to talk to you after service. In Ukraine, in Israel, in Palestine, in Myanmar, we have uh, people who are on the ground doing, trying desperately to bring peace in some very overwhelming situations. And just to hear these stories are amazing. We, we are at St. Timothy's, you're part of my good news story. I've told your story to other churches, so I might as well tell it to you. Uh, This outreach shed that you're doing is so encouraging to us. We are hoping that one day we'll have lots of churches who are willing to step up and take on this initiative. So when we bless that later, don't, don't think it's just a little shed on your property. This is a massive thing that we want to bring resources to local churches so you can better reach the needs of your community. We worked with Trinity Lafayette as part of your diocese, and they were able to do some awesome things after a disaster. They built a food truck. That'll feed 400 people red beans and rice, and it's amazing. I personally love red beans and rice. (laughs) 
Okay, I could talk all day long. I won't. The last story I want to tell is we funded some uh, partners in Syria after the recent earthquake. And uh, the, the people we funded, it was a church that converted their church into a home. So they were housing about 30 families. And they did an interview with one of the families that was there and the mom of the family. They asked her, do you have any questions for us? And on video uh, translated, she asked, why is it Christians, why is it only Christians who are in the rubble? And she explained that there's been rubble around the earthquake war all the time. And every time, the only people out there in the midst of the rubble are Christians. Why is this? She was curious. And it's because this is what we were built to do. This is what the church was made to do. From our earliest beginnings, we were with the people that nobody else wanted to be with. And this is our call, to lock arms with people who are in the rubble. That might be your grandchild who strayed far from God and you're not going to give up on them. Or it might be, God forbid, a disaster happens right here in your own backyard. But this is what we were called to do. And there's beauty in woundedness. So when you partner with ARDF, you get to be a part of stories like this. And it's such awesome, awesome work. God uses these wounded healers to heal my doubting Thomas Hart. So when I'm tempted to doubt God and question him because of all the natural disasters in the world, then I see people who've just experienced the disaster and they're demonstrating great faith in God. And their their wounds heal my doubting heart. When I'm tempted to doubt God because of the way the church is behaving and I hear all the bad news and all the bad things that the church is evidently doing, then I see real authentic believers all around the world demonstrating the amazing grace of Christ. And that heals my doubting Thomas Thomas Hart. God is using wounded healers all over the world and they are oftentimes a grace to the church. So St. Timothy's in closing May each of you discover the paradox of your beautiful wound. May you become wounded healers in our world and in your sphere of influence. And may you bring your doubting Thomas Hart to the Savior this morning, who is here and present and willing to let you touch his wounds. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.